game on. Coming up today, Grand Slam winner Stephen Ferris on Ireland's huge week after yesterday's slog in Murrayfield. The match referee has blown the full-time whistle. It's been some, some contrasting game either side of the halftime. Fantastic victory for Ireland, but as you say, the injuries are the big concern, aren't they? In soccer, Stephen Kelly and Alan Cawley on a bizarre weekend at the BBC, as well as the Premier League action itself. In racing, Ruby joins us from Cheltenham ahead of tomorrow's champion hurdle. Plus, in hurling, we've Lyle Moran as the Alliance League gets real. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Game on on 2FM. Yeah, welcome along. Alan Cawley is with me in studio. Al, you're very welcome. Thanks, Marie. How are you? A good weekend of sport and a brilliant week to come with Cheltenham. We'll be hearing from Ruby a little bit later on. He is in situ. It is raining. He's happy. I mean, what more What more could you ask for? To be fair, it's his World Cup, isn't it? It is his World Cup yeah. and he is loving it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I uh, love Cheltenham myself, I have Especially to Especially when the pressure's off. Like, I mean, he's over there as working for the media and mm. he's doing bits and pieces with Willie, but like, it's not like he's to go out and break a record or anything like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, because um, I suppose I wonder what it was like for him when he was going over with all the expectation. Oh, I say he was miserable. Yeah, no, and, and I know he's... <laughs> He's a bit of a cool character, I suppose, when it comes, you don't be, be as successful as he was without being able to carry that weight yeah. on your shoulders, I suppose. And, and but like it still must have been hard. Oh, like, huge. Yeah, hot yeah. pots is what, yeah. we could, what they're calling the racing world, going over there every year with three or four. And you look at the hype going into it and the preview meetings and everybody mm. talking about the horses that should win and Willie should win and you're riding them. I'm sure what, he probably couldn't take a step anywhere as well. Like people would be looking at him, what's he doing? You know, how's he looking? What's he eating? All the rest. Anyway, yeah. um, we will be going through all of mm. that throughout the week. We're going to go straight into the rugby. Stephen Ferris is with us on the line. Stephen, how are you after the weekend? I'm absolutely fantastic, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, what a weekend of rugby. And it was a weekend where I wasn't working and I was able to nice. sit on the sofa and watch the games. And uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. So it was it was brilliant for everybody to witness. And yeah, a, cu- a couple of results that probably... Um, weren't written in the script but uh, I think the Irish result many people fancied Ireland to go over there and get the win and they, and they certainly did that even even with all the drama that unfolded during the 80 minutes So many of the players afterwards and um, even Andy Farrell himself actually they ranked it up as one of the best wins they've ever been involved in where would you rank that win and performance yesterday? Um, I think the performance I wouldn't rank it up there but the, the victory itself I definitely would and I think the the reasons um, you know happened for us all to see during during the the eighty minutes as a reference there because of the challenges that they faced. Um, you know, losing your hooker, um, both hookers is is a really difficult situation to find yourself in. Um, you know, Keelan Dorr is probably the best player in the championship so far. He has to go off early. Um, you know, players playing out of position and it just. You know, Gary Ringrose at the end, I think, summed up the, the day for Ireland with you know just the, the amount of knocks that they, they they took and they battled hard and they you know for one another and I think that's been the overriding comments and feelings coming out of the camp is that they stuck together. There was a um, a togetherness and um, a cohesion which uh, I've seen them through in a, on a number of games over the last couple of years, but never ever has their um, their, I suppose their their, their mental strength, um, you know, been so important in a game, and everything they've practiced and everything that was, has been coached into them um, really had to, to pay off at the weekend, and, and thankfully it did. And 
you know, I think as well, Scotland probably let themselves down. I'm not sure with all the injuries to Ireland did they think it was just going to happen for them in the second half and they were going to get you know a lot longer period of possession. Um, but you know Ireland starved them of, of that and you know put in a brilliant performance. And I think you're right, uh, Marie. I think it's it's one of the the best wins that Ireland have had in, in many a year. Yeah, in ways it was hard to to make sense of even how they got there when there were so many things going wrong, so many injuries, and um, as you mentioned there, Josh Josh Vlanderflair having to do the throws, and even when he took that first one in the second half, I was I was actually thinking, was I seeing things? You know, was that actually happening? <laughs> and and the fact that he was able to just improvise like that to execute that skill, I mean, it's not a skill that myself and Alan Cawley would have in our locker. I don't know about you, Stephen Ferris, but I mean, to be able to do that, and he said like, oh, you know, I used to get in trouble a few times. I'd be throwing the ball a bit, you know, and after in his, in his post-match interviews, but to be able to do what he did, Stephen, how big is that? Uh, I actually couldn't believe my eyes. Like, I know there was a couple that went wayward towards the end, but when it mattered, you know, he was able to hit his man, and they, the setup that they had in the line out, I just wanted to see Peter O'Mahony sort of strolling towards the front because I knew they were going to try and do that shoot ball. And, and you know, Pete's a very, very good line out jumper and springs off the ground very well. So if Josh could just fire it in with a lot of pace, then, you know, nine out of ten times he would probably catch it, and uh, he, he, he did so. And yeah, I think, you know, I spent a lot of my training sessions warming up, catching balls for Rory Best. And I would have thrown them back to him, and you know he would have obviously kept throwing them back. So you know, Josh would have would probably practice his line out throwing quite a lot, but never actually with lads lined up where he's trying to hit them. And never mind in a, a grudge penultimate Grand Slam match uh, against Scotland away from home in Murrayfield. So like, yeah, I, I know all the, the social media clips that are flying around. You know, World Player of the Year can do anything, and <laughs> you know, he, he was superb at the weekend. And you know, I think it was 17 tackles he made in the match as well. He was everywhere. Um, he controlled things, uh, and for him to be able to execute some of those line out throws under the pressure that he was on, um, just shows you know. And I, and I think Marie, he didn't look flustered at all, did he? He just got to the line out, was like, oh, lads, open the gap there, open the gap. <laughs> um, it was extraordinary. It really was, and look, you you said it in at the start of our chat there, you know about it, the whole, the way they were able to cope in the situation, and a lot of the the players in their post match interviews used that word adversity after afterwards, and the way they were able to function, and look, Van de Fleer being one of them, um, Keen Healy being another one as well, like to be able to step in like he did, but all of them really to be able to handle the situation, not be flustered execute the game plan that they were trying to as best they could and just to, to be able to, to get that win um, it's just phenomenal and and I wonder like you know I, it was actually probably quite timely to see that Gary Keegan piece in the Indo at the weekend and, and the role that he's playing with the team and the, the importance of the, having that strong mindset but it's clearly something that they've developed anyway Stephen that they were able to come through something like yesterday and not capitulate yeah, um, I'm sure they've, they've talked about it. Um, you know, when they when they really are against it, and they have to pro- problem solve on the hop, and it's all well and good. You know, you, you you get beaten, and then on a Monday morning you try and problem solve, but to be able to do it on the hop in a game under a high pressure situation, um, you know, you're down in the match and. The things aren't going particularly well, and you know you're tra- really struggling to break down the Scottish defence, um, and. No, time after time after time they were hit with uh, adversity and I think Ian Healy said in, in an interview that I watched you know, they just all stayed calm and collected um, and they knew they just had to buy in and 
and dig in and uh, and you know try and grind it out and that's what they did. I tell you what, it wouldn't be a bad thing moving Keane Healy to hooker because they absolutely destroyed the Scottish scrum even when they brought on the re- replacements. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they they did a really good job on them. So, yeah, um, credit has to go to not just the, the 23 lads that were on the pitch, the other maybe 10 or 15 guys that have been training with and against um, the starting lads, um, the backroom staff, the coaches, the psychology side of the game as well. Um, and you probably read the same thing and listened to the same thing, you know, the excuses that were maybe made back in 2017 about the bus mm-hmm. being late and, you know, things didn't go their way with the travel and, um, you know, Jack Conan mentioned that he said it didn't matter if we had arrived to the game five minutes before the match, we were ready to go and ready to rock and roll. And, um, yeah, I think if the game had went on for another... 80 minutes that Ireland would have pulled away even more that's just the, the frame of mind that they were in Yeah and I think there'll be a lot of coaches um, away from the sport of, of rugby and, and just in general will have learned an awful lot from the way they were able to approach that game yesterday and, and that mindset and even that you know the, the bus story and all the rest um, the back rowers always get a, a huge amount of credit for the the depth there but let's talk about the wingers for a second and Matt Hansen in particular and his performances of late that first try James Lowe's try um, against France as well are we developing different types of wingers now? Are they is that position evolving, or are they starting to steal the show a bit, Stephen? Uh, yeah, well, he, he was man of the match, wasn't he, in mm-hmm. Italy? Um, he was man of the match yeah. the weekend. A um, couple of really good turnovers uh, as well to break down. He, he doesn't die when he makes a, a tackle. He's straight back up, up to his feet, trying to counter rock. You know, trying to get his hands in the ball. And um, for the Jack Conan try, they were over in that far side. Jack Conan actually carried in in the contact. They reloaded really, really quickly. It came to him. And it's that being able to sort of a little bit of subtlety where he steps back and squares up the defence and then just throws a really flat, hard pass, which sucks in Duan van der Merwe and he scores in the corner. And like he completely outplayed Duan van der Merwe. Duan was, was all over the place. And even the, the kick from Gibson Park, which was absolutely bang on the money where Mac Hansen could go and attack it and do him van der Merwe couldn't do anything he was sort of backpedaling a little bit and, and he collects that and you know Johnny Sexton obviously carried it on with an offload so yeah he, he is the full package you know when he gets his hands on the ball you're just waiting for something to happen and even when he you think he's closed down and he you know he's running up a, a cul-de-sac he still is able to get a three or four yard gain and, and give you that small bit of momentum that, that you need and yeah he's playing out of his out of his um, socks at the minute and the overriding kind of feeling that you get from him and in his interviews and the way he comes across on social media and everything else is that he just goes out and he enjoys it and he plays it with a smile on his face and he's relaxed and maybe that's filtering in a little bit to the rest of the squad Um, and James Lowe seems like a a similar character so no fair play to Matt Hansen Um, he has been superb even I I think was it the you know the, the kickoff last year against France where he you know he took it on the full and then scored straight off the kickoff? Since then he has been one of the most informed wingers in world rugby and thankfully he's playing for Ireland. Absolutely, yeah, he's one of those players that gets you off your seat and you need them in sport for sure. Um, okay, so we've we've so spoke about a lot of the good news. Let's have a chat about some of the bad news now, um, Stephen. And unfortunately, Gary Ringrose and Ian Henderson are going to miss the game against England. Uh, Caelan Doris, Dan Sheehan, and Roland Kelleher are going to be assessed throughout the week do we have enough depth in the squad to be able to handle um, the losses the confirmed ones and the potential ones yeah I think we do and this is what the whole um, building a a big squad uh, is all about when you find yourself in these situations and 
Maria, without question, we were going to find ourselves in hopefully not a similar situation, but you know, with the World Cup on the horizon, mm-hmm. there are going to be bodies that go down. There are going to be guys that are going to pick up a, a knock and maybe be out of the, the World Cup in the first or second game. That's the reality of it. You know, that is. We, we're all hoping that you know, that's very limited, uh, and you know, Ireland can keep their full strength as much as possible. But this championship is showing when you play hard physical test matches every week. Uh, that you know, people are going to get hurt, people are going to get injured, um, and unfortunately for Ireland, they suffered numerous injuries and a couple of bad ones at the weekend. I hear Ian Henderson's definitely going to be out. Uh, well, well, you mentioned that because of his wrist, uh, and obviously Gary Ringrose, and rightly so. And we're all happy to see him, uh, you know, sticking the thumbs up on the way off the pitch. But all precautions were taken, and, and, and he seems to be doing okay. But the other lads, you know, the hooker position. Rob Herring has started a lot of games for Ireland, even when he was called upon last minute for, for the French match at home. He stepped up to the plate. His line-out accuracy is, is probably the best out of the three hookers. Um, and you know, that's an area that we, we really need to stay on top of against England. And, you know, like some maybe Tom Stewart, who's been exceptional for Ulster over the last you know, 18 months, even with Rob being away a lot, he has been just phenomenal, like in scoring tries for fun, especially off malls. And I know he's been introduced to the Irish camp over the last couple of months. So um, that, that's an area where I think we'll be okay. You know, Keelan Doris, if he doesn't make it, you know, there's maybe 10 other lads that could step up and, and, and do a really good job. So um, we'll wait and see how, how things pan out. But it is, it is a quick turnaround. It's a six-day turnaround. We're going to have a big, strong, physical England looking to come mm-hmm. over and set a, a bit of a tone after their absolute drumming against France. So um, let's see how it pans out. But uh, to answer your question, Maria, I think we're more than capable of filling those small gaps with the players that we have and that have been playing well for their provinces over the last couple of years. And just finally, Stephen, how do you think it's going to pan out on Saturday? Um, hopefully the same way uh, the France-England game panned out last week. <laughs> <laughs> or last weekend. That would be great, but... <laughs> It's just, um, I said it at the start of the championship and maybe set up in the show with uh, with you guys. It just feels that there's something written in the stars for Johnny Sexton. Like this Saturday, people listening, this is going to be his last Six Nations game for Ireland at home. And you know, we all need to get behind him. I was a little bit worried about the Scottish fixture, but you know, we got the, the job done. But you know, Johnny Sexton, Grand Slam, um, you know, points beats the, the, the Ron Regar's points um, tally. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Six Nations and uh, you know hopefully rides off uh, into the sunset of, of, of a World Cup and hopefully goes really well then so yeah I, I can only see an Irish victory um, England are in the doldrums uh, lose loss of confidence um, you know changes every week in their team um, and yeah we'll, we'll see what England turn up but for me it doesn't really matter what England turn up I still feel that Ireland will win yeah, they look to be phenomenal at the moment. Uh, Stephen Ferris, thank you so much for all of that and looking forward to you to chatting to you again next Monday. Hopefully it'll be a celebratory uh, chat, uh, but either way, we'll talk to you anyway. Thanks so much. We're going to take a very quick break. Stay with us. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. There was a round of Premier League fixtures, but a lot of it was overshadowed with what was happening with Gary Lineker. Well, Gary Lineker is going to return to hosting Match of the Day after BBC Director General Tim Davey apologised for the disruption to the weekend's football coverage. Everybody has been talking about it. Everybody has an opinion on it. One of the people that did have an opinion on it, and a quite interesting one, uh, was Pat Nevin. He was on COCOMS yesterday. He agreed to go on air for BBC. Uh, the clip 
clip was this clip I'm going to play it was from before the game between Newcastle and Wolves he gave us he gave his take to the BBC on the situation and why he decided to do the game yeah John the BBC asked me if I was happy to come on today I said yeah but don't let anyone from the BBC say that I can't talk about the Gary Lineker situation it'd be impossible for me to come on um, they were fine with that so that's, that's good Look, I'm a pundit but I'm also a journalist an author I was once union chairman I'm my own person and freedom of speech means you get to speak that's why I went on Stephen Nolan last night world service this morning I don't engage in social media so this is the platform we have to start speaking on and get through this um, there's a dichotomy between free speech for us and due impartiality for the BBC we know that it's where you draw the lines that line's been far too blood for the staff and the public Public, we need clarification contracts must be clearer it's unfair in everyone from Gary Lineker to every match the reporter so there must be debate and there must be consultation not just edicts from on high and it may well be that the, the NUJ and Bechtu may have to get involved as well it's madness that I can be asked to go on a BBC political programme yet I'm not allowed to have an, uh, an opinion out with that it doesn't make sense I have to stand roughly in the same sort of hell as Gary Lineker that we have to understand that if we have stringent opinions and other alternative and indeed opposite opinions would have to be allowed that is not easy for an impartial organisation like the BBC to call with I'm going to talk about this for a long time to come. We've got to debate it. The future and direction of this possibly under threat institution could depend on this. It's about getting on and getting it right from here on in. Pat Nevin there speaking before the Newcastle Wolves, games, Wolves game yesterday making some really valid points about the situation that Gary Lineker and many other journalists as well find themselves in as the landscape keeps changing all of the time for many people Alan Colley is with me in studio and Stephen Kelly is with me on the line as well um, just to you first Alan look it's been one of those weekends where um, there was football on but we were talking about what was going on with Gary Lineker for an awful lot of it and um you know, the football almost played um, was was the sideshow as we were waiting to see what was going to be on, who was going to be where, what was um, happening and all the rest. But um, it does feel like that because of what's happened now with Gary Lineker going back, that there is going to be a bit of a change in the way that social media now is used by people, the way um, the attitudes to social media and even just people having a voice and a platform. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a pity, I suppose, that it's taken something like this. But but always when you're looking for change, Marie, something has to happen mm-hmm. or something has to give before you get that change. And obviously Gary Lineker, who has strong political views on a lot of things, it's not just this weekend, mm-hmm. and particularly the whole refugees um I suppose story since that broke over the last kind of 18 months, two years. And I follow Gary Lineker and he has a lot to say on plenty of things. So you would have thought maybe this could have happened behind closed doors with the BBC that he would have had this chat mm. and maybe he had we don't know but he still continued to tweet he still continued to put his voice his opinion out there um, and as, as you say Marie to get that change it ultimately had to come to where there was nearly a football blackout of the coverage So, which was crazy to think I, I never thought for one second growing up over the years and maybe sometimes you could argue there's 
football has become like um, that there's too much politics mm-hmm. in football and there was always that separation for us when we were growing up that we were just you look concentrating the football and that politics side was going on somewhere else obviously with the way the world has gone now and as you say with social media there's interaction and crossovers with everything and politics has very much come into football in a large way uh, particularly over the last kind of few years and you see obviously all the debates that broke out over the World Cup and the hosting it out all that stuff so someone like Ari Lineker who's a massive platform a massive profile uh, who continues to tweet I think it was really badly managed by the BBC and it should never have come to this but going forward like what Pat Nevin said in terms of the clarity of what they can do as pundits or journalists or whatever the case may be going forward hopefully those lines will have been drawn very clear for them and to know not to cross over them or how far they can go in terms of their views and once they're happy with that they can all just carry on doing their job and if they do come out and, and, and be forceful in a view or in an opinion that they keep it within the realms of what they're supposed to do and maybe that's what's going to come out of all this because he's very much entitled to his opinion like anyone else and, and, and that's the way it has to be I think you know uh, but as I say it's just a pity that that it came to the big blackout and and you look at Pat Nevin I admire him as well Marie in some way because fair play to everybody they showed their solidarity with Gary Lineker but it's very easy to show solidarity when you have plenty of money in the bank as well there was a lot of journalists and pundits and normal reporters who stayed off work obviously to back him up and they would have done that with the right intentions but had that carried on for two, three, four, five, six weeks a lot of people out of pocket then it's alright for the likes of those people Lineker, share right maybe um, so I'm kind of glad to see that it's resolved and everybody can just get on with their jobs hopefully and get on with the football Yeah and it's really important that uh, people are able to lo- use their platform to highlight things as well as Yeah, because Pat Nevin can still show solidarity with Gary Lineker and still go into work. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he spoke really well there. And look, everybody that has encountered um, Pat Nevin as well knows that he's his own man and he has his own views and he's always been outspoken as well um, and put out what he believes in. Uh, Stephen Kelly is with us as well. Stephen, what's your take on the whole thing? (laughs) It's a funny one. So I was actually asked to do the Fulham Arsenal game for Five Live. Now, were you asked to do it before the Gary Lineker situation or after? After. Okay. After, yes. You were 47th in line. (laughs) Oh, no, no, yeah, I know. I know. I'm down, so I'm down, I'm down, it was was funny because I'm down to do, I kind of get, every kind of second week I'm on BBC Five Mm -hmm. Live, that's kind of how it works. So I'm down to do Brighton, Grimsby in the FA Cup next Sunday and I was kind of thinking, is this going to be affected by when everything starts going off? And then I got the phone call asking me to do that Fulham Arsenal game and I was like, this is such a hard position to be in because you don't want to be the one that breaks the picket line or, or, or jumps out in front of it and especially the fact you're being asked and someone else has already pulled out you're going well what if they've pulled out <laughs> for me and at the stage when we were when I when I kind of said no I was unaware who was going to do it what was going to do it and at that point I was speaking to the presenter of the show um, and he he was pulling out of presenting the five law show so it was going to be no show it was just going to be live commentary so at that point I was kind of like well Listen, I don't, I don't want as much as I like to stay a stance and, you know, I didn't want to be... And listen, I think it's safe to say I think a lot of us agree with what Gary Lineker says, you know, to some extent. We're not, we're not too far off what his, what his thought and his, you know, his viewpoint is. But like Holly said, I think for a lot of people as well, it was, it was drawn because if you're in a situation where, like I said, a lot of pundits are freelance, a lot of mm-hmm. ex-players are freelance and people that this is their living and they're missing out on this... Um, for to show solidarity with Gary Lineker, who let's face it, financially is not going to affect him in any shape, way, or form. Him, I'd be lucky enough to be probably in that position as well, but not not like Gary Lineker. Like yeah. He has an astronomical contract from the BBC, and you know I think for everybody to be able to go along with that and stick their necks out for him, I said, was pretty impressive. 
Um, and for me, it was just a situation where I thought, I, I don't know whether I, I can put my, my, my head out on the line for this and, and go against the grain so much um, with everybody else dropping out. And, you know, I think to myself, should I have done it? Maybe I should have. It's, I, I could have had a platform like Pat Nevin there and said it. And, like, I didn't tweet about the fact I wasn't going to do the game. I didn't see any point in doing that. I, I didn't want any kudos for not doing it. I did, it was just one of those things. I just said no and got on with it. But it's, it's, it's a crazy situation to think that the amount of football was dropped and the amount of people were pulling out all to get their viewpoint across. And like I said, the BBC has, in, has got some change, but I think a lot of it was down to people were wondering was the pressure from certain parties, political parties on the BBC. And that's where they, were, that, that's where those, they, were, they needed to find that out before they pressed on. Yeah, I think there was a lot of um, grey area, blurred lines, inappropriate boundaries, all of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was really intriguing, actually, now, I have mm. to say, just to be completely um, away from it and just watching on was uh, was quite we're kind interesting. Of, like, yeah. putting ourselves in, do- in, in their shoes. You know, if something happened here in RT like that, you know what I mean? Everybody's asking, <laughs> yeah, because, going, if you didn't stand with me, Marie, if you didn't <laughs> yeah. stand with me, there would be trouble. <laughs> exactly. Uh, OK, let's move on, because uh, there was football, and unfortunately, a lot of it wasn't great. Um, but uh, let's not go straight into... Liverpool let's talk about Arsenal um, <laughs> and just for them to have Gabriel Jesus back it just seems that it is all coming together for them now and um, we are are we heading for the close on all we're not too far away from it no they look very strong and um, you know what impressed me most about them I suppose this weekend was Man City played the night before and put the pressure on them and that can be difficult then you know it's like a, the golfer that puts uh, the, the putt close to the pin and then you have to go after him and sometimes if you put it inside him it puts all the pressure on the putt it's something like that in this football situation the two horse race if you play on the Saturday night all the pressure is back on your opponent then for the Sunday but and it's hard for me to criticise Fulham because they've been so good but Fulham were a disgrace right, right. <laughs> Jeez, that didn't sound like it was hard no, yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were an absolute they were they were a disgrace and they've been great all year and I'm sure Marcus Silva woke up today thinking wow that's that's not my team Like uh, we've been so good all year but credit to Arsenal as well you can only beat what's in front of you and they absolutely dismantled them they were brilliant they took full advantage of Fulham being so inept on the day um, and they were brilliant they were absolutely brilliant and a key point as well you spoke about Jesus coming back Hugh for the competition in the team and the squad and the boost that will give everyone but Trossard since he's come in what a brilliant signing as well Marie has hit the ground running always a good like didn't pay bonkers money for him as well established Premier League player international player knows what the league is all about sets up three goals and he's been absolutely brilliant since he's come in so it's certainly looking good for Arsenal I've maintained all along that I think they're going to win the league even when they hit that bit of uh, blip uh, just after Christmas or whatever so I'd love to see them go on and win it because I've said all along all season they've been the best team. Okay, so it looks like if Arsenal keep going the way they're going, they're going to win the league. But are Liverpool going to get top four when they're losing to Bournemouth, Stephen? You just don't know what Liverpool's going to turn up. And, and that, that's such a strange thing to say because <laughs> we're so used to them being so consistent. But for them to be able to beat Manchester United 7-0 and dismantle them the way they did then to go out and lose to Bournemouth and Bournemouth like Bournemouth is a very different task like it's a tight pitch it's it's hard to go to you know they Bournemouth are struggling they really are but somehow they've pull, pulled the win out of the bag against Liverpool and I think defensively Liverpool looked really poor the middle of the park you know I think at times by Chetich very good talented young footballer but he's inexperienced and can he can he be the one in there that they need Elliot again another talented footballer but He's not what Liverpool are used to having, and it, it just keeps coming back to that engine room, that middle of the park that drives them forward, protects the back four that are not doing either of them defensively when they're left exposed 
they've 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 looked really vulnerable and before you wouldn't have thought that about them and yeah it's it's so hard to tell and then Tottenham got the win as well so you, you just don't know if Liverpool could kick on you would feel well what they've done the last few years they have enough about them but it, it's so hard to tell with the way they're playing Okay, we're going to have to leave our Premier League chat there, but we're going to be talking more football uh, tomorrow, Stephen. We've loads to get through to get through before the day is out. We have Ruby in at Cheltenham and we also have Hurling as well. But I'll just before we finish up, and very quickly, I just want to give a nod to the Ireland under-17 uh, men's team. So they are heading to the European under-17 championships finals in Hungary. They had a 3-2 win over Cyprus. And they've just been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And all credit to Colin O'Brien as well. The biggest thing about this, Marie, and even Stephen obviously would have went away and played in England and I played in underage teams as well. They would have been predominantly made up of lads who were playing in England. I think the brilliant thing about this squad is not only that they've qualified, but 16 of the lads involved in the squad mm-hmm. are playing here with the League of, Al- League of Ireland Academy structure with Pats, Bowes, the lad that got the winner, I think, is with Bowes. So that's a brilliant reflection on the work that's been done around the place. And you want to see more of that and let it continue because it does, it does show serious progress when you see 16 of the lads, as I say, Ireland squads would have been predominantly made up of lads who were playing uh, across the water in England and that was just under circumstance as well because good lads were going away playing in England now that they're here they're playing at academy level and it shows that they can still go on and play for their country and qualify for tournaments as well Yeah it's uh, it's brilliant to see Okay well do you know what I'm going to add that to my list of things that I'm going to pick up tomorrow because uh, we have so much to get through we're going to take a break, break now but stay with us because Ruby is going to give us a lowdown on Cheltenham Game on Racing Okay, Cheltenham starts at tomorrow and Ruby Walsh has kindly given us some of his time. Very busy person this week and has joined me now on the line. Ruby, how is everything in Cheltenham? Everything in Cheltenham is great, Marie. Um, I got in yesterday evening and it was a wet afternoon in the UK as I made my way down the M5 with Willie Mullins and David Casey in the hordes of traffic. So anybody that is probably listening to this and is coming to Cheltenham tomorrow, please be aware of roadworks on the M5 north of Tewkesbury, which will delay you for a considerable amount of time. But um, yeah, look, Cheltenham is in great. It looks a million dollars. Marie's a great boat and a great atmosphere here. But it's funny, I've never known it to be as wet. It was really? miserable today. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But when you were coming over with Willie and David, do you bring horses with you or are you just going in the car? No, we just we actually flew into Birmingham and um, I hired a car and drove the oh. other two down. I used to be Willie Mullins' first jockey. Now I'm actually his first driver. <laughs> um, but um, no, all the horses came. So Tuesday's runners, Marie, would have left Willie's on Saturday morning. It's 12 hours door to door from Carlow to Cheltenham. So they left early on Saturday morning and got the 8 a.m. boat out of Dublin to Hollyhead. And they were here in Cheltenham at around 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And then it goes day by day. So Wednesday's runners would leave Sunday, mm. Thursday's runners went today, and Friday's runners will come tomorrow. So there's a process. There is a big logistical <laughs> process in in play, and Grania in the office, and Willie Mullins is playing a blinder because she would have organised 75 horses and mm. probably the guts of 35, maybe 40 staff to bring all those horses here, horse boxes and lorry drivers and everything else that goes with it. So it's a huge operation. God, yeah, and, and throwing all the egos as well there, Ruby, you know? Oh, it's not straightforward, <laughs> Marie, not straightforward. Um, okay, so you said it's really wet over there. So what does that mean now for the horses, for the jockeys, for the punters, for everybody? 
It means more for the punters, uh, not so much for the jockeys, Marie, because they'll be able to change their clothes after they finish riding. It'll mean it'll be soggy and wet for race scores who'll be wet. Um, but what does it mean more for the track? I mean, Cheltenham race in October, November, December and January, so their ground does take a fair bit of bashing and it kind of needs time to recover after all of that and dry out and there hasn't been great grass growth in February so it's a little bit lacking in grass in places but there's nothing John Poulin or the staff in Cheltenham can do about mm-hmm. that John Poulin is the clerk of the course here it's just the weather that we've had through March there was no grass growth so that would mean it'll mean it'll be testing ground Marie and they'll race on this very same track for both Tuesdays, Tuesday and Wednesday so as each race goes by the ground will get more churned up Jockeys will start, you know, start spreading out on the track, trying to find a little bit of better ground somewhere where they can uh, find a sod that's going to hold them up better, and um, it'll, it'll just be all over Cheltenham. It'll be uh, it'll be dirty looking, for the want of a better word. Right. So if you're wearing the old uh, white clothes, they won't won't look good. Um, Ruby, they won't be white for long. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I've got a few questions now that are probably silly, but anyway, I'm going to go with it. Uh, is it easier if you're a jockey when it's wet weather or is it harder? It's easier. Uh, the wetter it is, Marie, the softer the ground. And the softer the ground, the slower you go. So the slower you go, the more time you have to make decisions. So it's definitely easier for a jockey when it's wet and slow. What about horses? Do they prefer it? They probably don't like. Not that humans. they can tell they you. Would pref- <laughs> yeah, they would probably prefer if the sun was shining and there was a little bit of heat out there. Um, but they're used to it, and you know, some horses then, depending on how they move and how their action is, some horses would prefer soft ground. Other horses would prefer a drier, harder surface. So they're all quite different. Um, so look, it's going to suit probably the slower horses, Marie, this week. The ones that would stay longer. Mm. It's going to turn into middle distance runners rather than sprinters winning this week. So does that mean everything you told us now last week is kind of could change a bit like? No, it, it shouldn't. Uh, it would probably inconvenience different horses more like uh, Barry Connell will be quite worried about high, high Marine National now in the first yeah. race. Uh, even though he won on soft ground at Ferry House, he's always been adamant that Marine National would be a better horse on much better ground. It probably gives in the pocket of Henry de Bromheads a chance in the Supreme now. He's by Blue Brazil and his pedigree would suggest he'd like a bit slower ground so it gives him a chance but it probably doesn't help the chance of high definition or a diverge because high definition is by Galileo and was bred to be a high class flat horse diverges by Frankel so similarly he was bred to be a high class flat horse they are probably both going to struggle on real soft ground so high definition and diverge would be two to probably avoid in the first race tomorrow Alright so we might as well go through them then now that you've started it uh, what about in the Arkle then? Uh, I think it should suit them all in the Arkle Marie well the ones that count anyway Il Fabiolo he'll go on soft ground so will John Bon who's by Walk in the Park he's won it before Dysart Dynamo being a front runner who tends to go really fast it might get hard for him because obviously on slower ground you have to go a bit slower so you can see out the distance and San Ra, who we tipped each way he probably becomes a bigger player each way and now on real soft ground he'll handle it Dysar Dynamo only has one way of running but if he goes fast in front he's more likely to get really tired and come back to the field and that could allow San Roy to finish third so 8-1 to one each way is probably a nice price uh, In the champion hurl, hurdle are you still thinking Constitution Hill all the way? 
I am. There's no reason to suggest um, he won't win because he has won actually Marie on real heavy ground at Sandown when he won his first grade one, which was the Talworth hurdle. That was back in January of 2022. Uh, he won on really bad ground at Sandown that day and won by a long way. It was the first time you kind of thought, wow, what is this horse? So, um, yeah, Constitution Hill, he'll handle real testing ground. So will State, man, but... Um, I'd say Constitution it might mean Constitution Hill wins even further Murray because he does handle really soft ground and he's going to be he's just all the chat here in Cheltenham is about him as well mm. and yeah he's he's an incredible horse so he, is. he sounds like just listening to people like you know that he's like you saying Bolt kind of a an, an athlete yeah or looking football he's, he's Davy Clifford or he's mm, he just could be that he has that X factor and he could be every sport Marie needs big names whatever it is I mean you look at what Messi or Ronaldo have done for soccer for national national hunt racing needs big names as well and you know hopefully this week two new stars will I hope, put themselves on the stage to become superstars and that's Constitution Hill and, and galloping the champ in the Gold Cup on Friday. I was looking at videos of honeysuckle rolling around in the, in the grass in Cheltenham looking happy out. Is this a good sign? Yeah, it is and she's in good form. I was actually talking to Rachel Blackmore today and she's really positive about her chance. She's she's convinced that honeysuckle can do it. Um, she probably... I've probably seen Rachel in better form, I'd say the pressure, or not the pressure, the expectation. Mm. Monday in Cheltenham is always a hard day for jockeys. You're killing time, you're finished riding out sort of at 11 o'clock and you're trying to pass the day. It can be a long day for riders here waiting for tomorrow to happen. But, um, you know, only suckle. Rachel has undying faith in her. And look, if you're asking me now if what one horse you would like to see winning... I would love to see Honeysuckle win. I'd love to see a winner for the Bromheads, for Rachel, mm. for, for everyone that yeah. after the year they've been through. I think she would be a really deserving winner. And But just in sport, you can't make that happen. No. And yesterday morning, then Marie's Rock, who looked like running in the stairs hurdle on Thursday, was declared in this race. So she's another mare that's going to make it harder for Honeysuckle. Brandy Love will love the real soft ground. So she becomes a big player in this race now. And look, it's going to be really hard for Honeysuckle. But if she was to win, you could just see, I think it'd be, inc you can often get incredible scenes in Cheltenham. But I think if Honeysuckle wins, they'll be amazing. Yeah, well, if not uh, Honeysuckle, then I'd be happy enough with Marie's Rock one. Um, oh, of course you would. <laughs> Ruby, so this week, uh, look, you're over there, obviously. And, you know, I was on with the two Johnnies and we were chatting about um, about you and, and tips for Cheltenham. And I was saying, you know, people are always asking me, like, is Ruby telling you anything? Have you got any tips? And I just make a joke out of it. But, like, it must be difficult being you in a place like Cheltenham. That's not Marie. As AP always says, when people stop asking you your opinion, you are. <laughs> and I won't use the word. <laughs> um, and he's right. It's not. And look, Cheltenham Marie is, has always been a very good place to me. Mm. Um, I know I got injured here a few times, but on the whole, Cheltenham has shaped my life. It, it made my career. And I love coming here. Like even driving in here yesterday evening and walking around. I actually walked around the grandstand today with a man called Eddie Wright who won the Arkle Chase in 1972 on a horse of Tom Draper's. And he hasn't been in Cheltenham since the mid 70s. 70s and he was here today and I was walking around with him and the, he was talking about the changes in the place he was there with his wife but like that the, it is there is no other race course which that's able to create the drama that Cheltenham creates how they've mm -hmm. built it how they've designed it it really is a special place and I can't wait for tomorrow to tell you the truth 
Okay, well, we can't wait to talk to you tomorrow, Ruby. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the crowds been there, the bit of rain, not having to do a huge amount of work in terms of uh, being on the horses, but sure, look, you'll have plenty exactly. to do. With Willie and the media... I get to sit in the truck. I get to sit in the truck, Marie, and watch the racing on every angle there is possible, so <laughs> it's heaven bad. for me. Absolutely not a bad place to be. Ruby, thanks, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, Marie. Game on. GAA. Now it's time to turn our attention to Gaelic Games. Niall Moran is with us on the line. Now we're going to get into the hurling action in a moment, but first of all, I just want to talk to you about Liam Kern's sad news uh, broke yesterday that he had passed away just 61 years of age. He left a huge impact on uh, different counties around Ireland. He has left a great... Um, a great legacy in the world of Gaelic football and especially in a, in a county like Limerick and I know that he's someone that you knew well. Yeah, we're, we're stunned and saddened for me. Um, the news came through last night there around 8 o'clock. Um, a message came through to the phone and it stopped us in our tracks. Um, I suppose in a sports mad county we've been stopped in our tracks on a number of occasions in the last month. Um, we've lost a lot of good supporters of local sport. Obviously the untimely death of Tom Tierney two weeks ago really left an impact on a generation and it's safe to say that him with the death of Liam. Um, on a personal level, I'd only met him previous Thursday week there. He's inside in the Green Hills, and I suppose the first thing I commented to him was to see Liam. He looked in great shape. He, he had lost the power away. Um, he was so in tune with the people that he came across. He always had a word for everybody. He cared about what he did. Um, so he, he probably gave us the proudest generation that we've ever had in Limerick football here, whereby the choice. It was an easy choice to make between hurling and football. Guys went to football, and to say that that was probably down to me and Soli wouldn't be an understatement. Um, people are devastated here. We're absolutely devastated. He's such a popular guy, such a big figure, both in, in his professional life, uh, when he was a guard, he's a great family man. So, I mean, our sympathies are, are, are with the, all of his family. You know, like it's just the trauma that they're dealing with, and I suppose that's the only hope that we have as a sporting county is that we can tend to rally around Andrew and the crew over the next couple of weeks in whatever way we can. But he's left a massive void here in Limerick. Um, obviously, he left the void he left as manager, and we were so proud to see him go on and do what he subsequently did with Tipperary and Leach and, and probably what he was going to do with Offaly. So, um, as I said, it's, um, it's left us all as funds in our tracks and uh, as, as much and all as. We love to fight our fight over wins and losses mm. and everything else. I think it's the one thing that we'd all agree that makes sport for all of us as people and we've lost one very good one. Yeah, and I think um, even just hearing you say that, Niall, about players wanting to play for him and, and, and like that's a huge thing and you could see that replicated whatever county that he went to, the players wanted to play for him. I only met him a couple of times but he just seemed to have this really big personality. Yeah, he was just so personal. Mm. I mean, again, and that's not to understate he's footballing intelligence, his professionalism, his organisation, all the skills that we now see as prerequisites of an inter-county manager. He had all those in space 20 years ago. Um, he made non-believers believe. And uh, to a man, I think anybody, I think whoever works around here, I've never but to hear somebody say a bad word about him. And that's not just in death, that was in life and in living. Uh, and I said to you, even having met him, having met him uh, last 10 days ago, I actually had to say, Liam, hey man, I'm under pressure here, kid. I, I got to go back to work here. And he just wanted to chat and talk, yeah. and there's nothing he's paid to do with. And as I said to you, look, I, I know for the lads who did close time, first time with them, they're devastated here today. And again, that only pays in Paris for his family. Yeah, it's a really tough time for everyone who knew him and the wider GA community as well. There's a lot of shock going around. Noel, thanks for those really kind words. We appreciate them. It always f feels. Um, 
it always feels strange to move back to talking about the GA action because like when something like this happens it just becomes so clear that there's so much more important things than sports than hurling than football than whatever it is but at the same time there are things that people really love and, and often when times are tough they turn to sport because it gives them that distraction from reality so I am going to talk to you about the GA this weekend as well um, if you don't mind that is of course um, and so look we may as well start with, with Limerick and Niall um, your own county and their um, their performance against Westmead and I guess the big story from this game although it was quite a, a comprehensive win from Limerick was the return of Aaron Galan. Yeah, I said, Marie, look, I didn't be talking about Limerick today in this capacity, but um, yeah, Aaron is back there yesterday. It's a great team. People in Limerick are, are very, very happy to see him. You know, he's had a rough few weeks of training behind him trying to get up to shape, so I, I know he's a big addition back. And I suppose, look, I suppose we saw a couple of new players fall into Limerick setup yesterday, and they got great exposure to competitive league game. And I think for anyone who was at the game yesterday, said that Westmead really kind of came up with a great performance in the second half, and they'll take a bit of positivity around that. But um, look, I suppose it's for Limerick. I suppose they're moving on, and so there's a lot bigger wins at the weekend. I suppose looking at the performances of Tip, they look very, very strong. Cork again came very strong. So it's safe to say that we're going to need all these players as, as the championship moves on. Yeah, and when you look at all of the, the games and even just listening, Niall, to some of the interviews afterwards, like not everybody seems to be too focused on the league, but at the same time, you know, you can take away a lot from the way teams are playing and, and how certain players are performing. And I, you mentioned Tipperary there and, and their scoring tally, 4.23, but when you have somebody like Jake Morris getting three goals, five already this year, you'd have to stand up and take notice. Yeah, look, uh, so for me, I, I don't buy into all the narrative, and I know it was referenced there, um, in relation to Clare and Galway game mm-hmm. that it was pedestrian and it was a challenge game but to be honest I was at the game and so I, I wouldn't have felt that coming away from it not to that level like I've, I've seen more intense games um, so like I'd be very slow to kind of run with the narrative that can sometimes be thrown out there um, like look uh, watching that Tipperary and Watford game on um, Saturday evening it's fair to say that the crowd anyway number one instigated an atmosphere which I think the players fed off and I thought that probably was one of the biggest things that was maybe missing in the Clare game um, look, Ian, I said here for the last couple of weeks, Ian Cahill, he has everyone on board. They're playing with a real grace. They're playing with a fire. There's there's something going on in that dressing room mm-hmm. in the sense that he has their ear. And look, he has the sticks to beat him with in the sense that, look, last year, you know, he kind of rolled over to a certain degree, I suppose, for himself. He'll feel kind of hard done by with the criticism that was labelled his door the way about Waterford's championship. And, and don't forget, this is Tipperary. There are very, very good hurdles in Tipperary. Um, so I mean maybe not as they're not, com- they're not as obvious perhaps as what they would have been in past times but again like I've referenced watching the uh, it's given there in the last few weeks like the tip guys are to the forefront and again we saw a couple of those uh, um, and then supposed to see Jake Morris look for Jake Morris I suppose criticism there that's when he's not on the ball that um, so I mean people are concerned about his contribution but on the ball he's devastating him I think if anyone remembers the last Corbett, maybe starting off in his career, I suppose there's a lot of parallels there. So if he can follow the same trajectory over the next maybe six or 12 months, you know what I mean? we'd have a very mm-hmm. different opinion of, of the likes of Jake Morris. Now, I know if you're, for people who aren't from TIP, they probably won't like to hear this, but my sense, Niall, is that that temporary swagger is back. Yeah, do you know what? They're different, really. They're different, right? I suppose the one thing is that we're seeing with a lot of the other counties in trying to catch up to the market leaders, they're trying to mimic them. Mm. Okay? Tipperary have adapted their game, but they're not mimicking their game, right? And I suppose the one thing I'd say there is that a lot of teams, that there's no goal threat with them. Even watching yeah. the game yesterday, I, I 
said to somebody, I think we're we're in danger of falling down following the football rules, having likes of Eden Maskies and Rory Beggins. If I was uh, a kind of Clare Gordon manager there, you'd have gotten away with a wing back playing in goals because you know what I mean? But with the likes of Tipperary, they're looking to they're getting the ball into the kind of delivery zone and instead of shooting to distance like some of the other teams, Tip are going back to the most effective um, attacking hurling you can have which is cross field balls and guys running off the shoulder and they did that multiple occasions um, and even like a couple of chances I know Shane McCann had a chance early on that was a natural point for him but he tried to force goal opportunity and they did that on multiple occasions and that's the difference like if, if team are going to score 25 or 6 points and you are going to need 2 or 3 goals and Tip at the moment they look the most goal hungry and that is like kind of following what's true to the, themselves I think they're going to have a lot more success than some of the other teams who are trying to mimic yeah, it's um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they progress in the championship. But they definitely look like they're they're going well and they're they're trending in that right direction. How would you assess where Waterford are at then? Um, I thought there were I thought they were poor to be honest. Uh, I, I thought they were fairly poor. I know Davy looking at his body language, it's it, there's bigger fish, the bigger fish to fry, and I know that there is. And so it looks like the work still came back. I, I just thought they I thought they ran up a lot of cause effects. Um, I thought the style of hurling just it kind of. It, they kind of ran themselves into a little bit of trouble. And uh, again, I'm not one I'd be concerned about them, but uh, I suppose, look, their, their games in recent weeks, they probably haven't been at full tilt, and maybe like they're still not having full tilt in terms of the, the personnel they, they have out. So, look, again, you pick up a few injuries as well on Saturday, which didn't help the cause. And I suppose, look, it's not ideal as well going into championship playing away from home, but look, there'll be a different opposition in a couple of weeks' time. I think that handshake or that finger-wagging between Davey and me and Carl more or less alluded to that. You don't have any concerns for Waterford, but would you have concerns for Dublin? I know they did score 117. They kind of came back into the game a bit, but for a lot of it, Niall, they look like they were they were a good bit off Kilkenny. Yeah, I suppose, look, when you look at the game, it's probably wrapped up, to be fair, at half-time again. You know, you're watching, mm. and I watched it in, perp- in person, like it was 17-9. At half time, and Kilkenny looked, you know what I mean? They just looked very, very strong. Um, so that they're so reliant on, on Donald Burke. Um, do you know what I mean? And they have some standout players. They're going down as the top player there. You know I mean? Burke is centre back as the top player. But so ultimately, personnel is a huge thing. And uh, so the underage can variable that's uh, probably slowed down in Dublin a little bit and it's kind of starting to pay the price for it. But I suppose just the other side is. They're, I mean, they're in transitioning under a new manager too, and you have to be patient. So I mean, it takes a little bit of time. So I think, in fairness, I think maybe stay off the verdict in Dublin for a little bit more will be the will be the key to it. I'm sure they'll pick a couple of the games and then something like the Wexford game. And if they got a win against Wexford, then straight away the year opens up in front of them. So they'll have their targets in front of them as well. Will Wexford be disappointed with the way they finished out the game or the way they allowed Cork to finish out their game? They will, but uh, to be fair to them, they responded in kind. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of said last day, you're always worried about a team that takes such a, a trouncing. And even again, like Gary Egan's words after it, he, he pulled no punches. And it says, as I said previously, Dresden's can be hypersensitive places, but he obviously has respect to the players because they went out and they gave him a serious performance for the first 50, first 60 minutes. Um, again, and probably injuries probably undermined them. So I think he'd be a lot happier coming home. Look, they're not going to be relegated. There's going to be no... There's going to be no structural damage done to Wexford on the back of the league. And I think, look, once he has his dressing, which he has, and if he could just heal up that injury list, 
I think, look, there'll be a lot stronger coming forward too. But again, there's teams will look at picking Wexford, like Dublin will look at picking them. Even Antrim might fancy the chances mm. there in the Championship. So they're kind of in a, a precarious position in terms of um, starting even going forward. Yeah, Antrim had that big win, well, a good win over uh, Leash yesterday, 3.18 to 1.18. Niall Moran, thank you so much for going through all of those games with us. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a feature tomorrow on Kildare Hurling, so we'll be talking more hurling tomorrow, but that's it from us on Hurling for today. Thank you, Niall. Cheers, thanks for it. Game on. Hurling.